I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 224 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Well, today we've got another in-person recording. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Zoom episodes. They're super convenient. And it gives me the opportunity to speak to people much further away. But you can't beat that face-to-face conversation with it bouncing back and forth, can you? And this was most definitely one of those. It was recorded at the Art Hub Studios in Woolwich, South East London. And it is with the evil genius, Frederick Spermin. And this was another one that was in the pipeline to be recorded for absolutely ages. And it was initially meant to be recorded live at the opening of Gallery 32's Winter Sculpture Park, where Fredericks had an installation. But just as we was about to record, I got a, I got a phone call and had to shoot home. And if you've not seen Fredericks work before, think along the same lines as like Gavin Turk and Dion Kitson. It's that same sort of thing of getting the lowly cultural references and, and putting them in the spotlight, giving them a bit of gilding, you know? Fredericks is also part of Toma, the other MA, that was featured on bonus episode number 32. And Fredericks is in a show with Toma as part of the Leon C. Art Trail, which runs from the 8th to 16th of July. So if you're in the vicinity of gorgeous old Essex, get yourself down there. Just before I take you to meet Fred, I would like to mention our Patreon supporters, without whom we would not be able to produce this podcast. If you like what you hear and you're able to buy us a coffee, then go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll see a link tree drop down box and there's the option there to 
buy us a coffee or if you're able you can be one of our patreon supporters but if you're not able that's absolutely fine this content is free for everyone that said come and join me as i spoke to the evil genius frederick's vermin i went and saw charlie peters actually after i listened to her on your thing and um yeah, she was talking about ADHD. So that was like how then she figured out that maybe she was, you know, had a similar thing. Yeah, just chatting to her, then I was like, oh shit. Yeah, like, all oh, right, okay. Because I've always thought that I was like manic depressive, do you know what I mean? I was like, I have massive highs, massive lows, and get like this sort of, when I'm in a low, I get this guilt thing. So then, like, when I come back out of it, it's like, you know, full pace, like um, doing a million things. Yeah, and I think that's it, it's like, I was like, oh shit, maybe it's just like, that's how I'm hardwired, do you know what I mean? It's not. And if, if you have got that and you're working on an artwork, obviously the bipolar thing goes up and down, not just today and tomorrow, it could be this hour and next hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you think that affects your work? Would you uh, look at it yeah, at one no, stage no, and go, I was making this when I was feeling a bit down and it hasn't got the right energy, so I'm going to change it because at the moment I'm feeling happy. I know you wouldn't say that in your mind. Well, I think probably like, you know, I kind of... Um, I really like um, processes that are quite immediate so that's how I got into drawing and then kind of stuck with drawing quite a lot and then I did lots of work with like vinyl that's kind of how I moved into like doing bits of screen printing I mean I'm like the messiest fucking screen printer ever but mm. I like it yeah I don't know I think um, I don't often return to something you know and at the moment I've sort of moved like starting the Toma course and then kind of working on these sort of McDonald's bits where it's actually, you know, they kind of have the sort of maybe aesthetic of kind of like really recognisable imagery, but actually they're really personal. They're about like um, sort of my own patterns of like overindulgence, uh, emotional binge eating, periods of not eating for quite a while. And that's definitely related to my mental health and kind of how it fluctuates. And, you know, I kind of have this like heavy rise and then collapse and then, and I've got, I've got more measured and balanced, but I've had like a bit of a crazy year last year. And, uh, well, have you yeah. been, I know this isn't, isn't a mental health yeah. um, podcast or even conversation, but have you been assessed oh, for it can anything? be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just lay on that bench. No, well, I had like, I had like a major mental breakdown maybe like 10 years ago. Mm. Um, and it was the first time it had sort of happened so, so clearly and so outwardly. Um, and sort of ended up going to Maudsley and then sort of was like home assessed and then you know kind of you know ended up getting a counsellor like in my mid-twenties that was like really good and that was through um, a charity for people of uh, like surviving uh, sexual abuse and des domestic violence and is that what yours was related to yeah yeah so it's like the thing that I found out last year is that I've got um, CPTSD okay and that was like revelationary it was like oh fuck okay these things make sense like, like it's yeah, not yeah. that I'm a fucking That's alien yeah. it's not that uh, and I sort of knew and I sort of pieced bits together it's not that I've been kind of you know unaware of these things but I just kind of never really I guess um, related it to myself I never really made it um, a priority I yeah. was always like oh yeah those things happened and that was difficult and you know, although it's not my fault, it's my responsibility to sort of take that on and um, deal with it, basically. And then, yeah, last year, or end of 2022, 2021, had like a major 
breakdown again. Oh, wow, sorry. Yeah, no, well, you know, it happens. Like, <laughs> But it was like, you know, a complete physical exhaustion, uh, mental fatigue, like some really bad relationships, like usual stuff that kind of ends up leading up to it. But I think having the awareness of the time before when it had happened, that was kind of a harsh, harsher thing to go through because it wasn't a new experience. Yeah. It was like, shit, this again. And maybe this is going to be a repeating thing. And then I kind of thought back and I was like, actually, my first like major mental breakdown wasn't my first major mental breakdown. Because when I was a teenager, I kind of had a point where I kind of became really agoraphobic, kind of left school when I was like 13, but kind of didn't go much before that. And then, you know, would sleep sort of 12 to 16 hours a day and would sleep all through the day and then be awake in the night. And it was a way to sort of control space and have time to myself and stuff like that. So... You know, I kind of realised that actually there's a lot of stuff that I'd been holding for a really long time and actually this this time when I had a breakdown it felt kind of maybe more raw and more present but that was because for the first time while I was going through it I reached out to people and sort of had people, you know, making sure I wasn't hurting myself and, yeah, you know, yeah. those sorts of things and kind of being watched and which was really fucking difficult, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like being treated like a baby. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's so yeah, lovely. It's like, I'm really lucky to have some good friends, do you know what I mean? But it was Because like, most of the time people would do that anyway. Yeah, I think because what it does is it, it interrupts that thing. Like, yeah. I don't know if, for you, but for me, it's definitely, I get on this real sort of cyclic thought pattern and it just bouncing off the front of your skull. And it's, it's literally to do with like how brain function. You know, it's send a message out, it wasn't received, it goes back, says it wasn't received and it sends it out again. And so, yeah, I can kind of really get into a point of like having really repetitive thoughts and like really impulsive behaviours that come out of that and kind of, the most recent thing that I've been doing is uh, talking to myself and not just having a bit of a chat like, oh, you know, you're silly, but like sort of playing the different sides of the argument and then... And what's really good is then it becomes physical. No, out loud. I've got to do it out loud. Which is nuts, you know. You look like a fucking nutter. But sometimes I'll do it on a cycle or, you know, when no one's in the house or whatever. I mean, nowadays, people think you're talking on your fucking phone, don't Yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as you've got your headphones in. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No one thinks anything of it nowadays. Do you find that being in the studio, creating artwork, is a help or a hindrance to that? Or is it both? depending on the day well yeah this is the thing so um i suppose i had like i say it quite often but i had a chat with my mate magic like a few years back um and he we were getting ready for a collaborative show and he was talking about his really expensive hobby which was his art practice right it's like you know you're sort of spending all that time paying to make work put shows on you know you might not make sales whatever you might not be that kind of artist that sells work anyway uh, and you know just kind of feeling that thing that I think all of us feel at some point which is like a bit lost in it not sure where you're at and I sort of really reassured him and I was like oh you know like it's important it's about uh, endeavouring to create a pursuit and critical thinking and it kind of makes you more full rounded as a person you understand yourself you understand other people better like it doesn't have to be about the outcome or the external thing and then I thought about it a lot more and then I was like, shit, do you know what? You just got the wording wrong. I was like, <laughs> it's a really expensive habit. It's like, for me, it's like, you know, I fucking, I crave it and I need it. And it's like, you know, um, there was a point when I was like probably about 19 and it's like, I was signing on and it's like £35 a week. 
three fifty of that I'd have to spend on a bus pass to get to the job centre, and then I'd pay. I'd, I'd use that day as my day to then sit on buses and go like uptown, sit in spaces like the Barbican um, and Haywood, and where it's like kind of free open space, and you can kind of be there for a long time. Um, but yeah, like literally at points, like chose a sketchbook over like getting shopping in just because I was like obsessed, you know what I mean? Like just had to do it. And that's the point is it's like as I've got older, I've realised how to balance that and actually like prioritising, you know, keeping on top of my basics. So, you know, housing, eating, um, kind of take trying to take some time off. <laughs> but I think, yeah, so I've only had a studio um, probably like the last three, four years. I, th I think there's this idea that when you tell people who aren't artists or aren't involved in it, when you tell them that you're an artist or you have a student they're like this must be so lovely to be creative and it's like you know yeah. I'm like digging around in my fucking guts like do you know what I mean like I'm, I'm, and no one cares yeah you know you know and it's like I'm, I'm, it, it's tumultuous you know and then the outcome people look at it and it kind of doesn't necessarily always register but um, the process like it's not always an enjoyable one I don't think it's an important one, but not always an enjoyable one. Well, we're talking about your work, and for him, mm. and for anyone that wouldn't know Frederick's Vermin, how would you explain what you do? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I'd probably say that I've got an interest in kind of what it's like to live in a city, and I'm kind of thinking about things that are kind of disregarded. I've got like a real interest in materiality. Uh, and kind of what you can suggest with materials using. I'm not really a medium-specific thing uh, artist, so it's like one of the things that people ask as soon as you say you're an artist, they're like, oh, painting, and you say no, and they're like, oh, sculpture. Not that either. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, um, yeah, I'm kind of like really interested in like Things that have become redundant, I've always kind of had an interest in that. Like up there, you can see the fast gas bottles. So they're sort of, you know, like people do balloons the, mm. and the gas canisters. So you get the little silver ones, but then these are the bigger um, ones. And then this is the thing where they're like, there's an epidemic going on. It's a real issue. So they're actually trying to ban them. So those things have actually become obsolete and like similar to like green card in the back of Rizla, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because they see it as paper wastage, so that's kind of going obsolete, so at the moment I'm trying to scrabble around and gather every bit, but everyone's <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're holding on to their green card. Um, so yeah, things that are kind of disregarded and maybe kind of like elevating their status and bringing them back into focus. And why is it you focus on that? Is that a bit how you see yourself? I think most recently, yeah, because yeah. of like um, quite a difficult trauma, uh, you know, having a collapse, uh, experiencing a lot of loss, uh, and that sort of thing of um, trying to piece self back together. Yeah. So, like, that's what the McDonald's self-portraits are about as well. So, like, the process is, like, scrunching paper, and then it becomes really delicate, and it's like a wet paper bag, you know, so you're sort of, like, fighting your way out of a wet paper bag. Couldn't yeah. do it. I was so weak, like, completely flattened. But like trying to stretch it and pull it and not have it break, but also having to accept the breaks and the cracks, and also suggesting this, you know, because with McDonald's they have that thing of like the fucking cheeseburger, right? You see the cheeseburger, everyone knows the cheeseburger. It's an internationally known symbol, but when you actually take a cheeseburger out of a packet, it never looks like that. So actually, what you're buying is the idea or the illusion of this thing. That's the allure. Yeah, it's yeah. not the reality of it, right? <clears throat> 
And so I suppose the thing that I'm interested about in the bags is they've got the like, factory line that runs through them. So you can see the points at which they connect, but then there's a disconnect and you can't ever quite get it to match up because as you're wetting the paper, it warps and it bends. And, you know, so just sort of at the moment, I'm playing around with that quite a lot. And then uh, one of my favourite things to do uh, on a Saturday night uh, when I'm not going out is go and get a shopping trolley and walk around and pick up like, you know, old rave signs, <laughs> yeah. some of the canisters. Um, do you know what I mean? Did you have art in the home or creativity in the home growing up? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. It was like home was chaos, right? So um, my dad was quite abusive and uh, my mum was like a massive hoarder. And so there was kind of always stuff, right? Was she a collector? No, well, she was a collector, or, or but a also then, you it's know. a fine line, isn't it? No, nah, but it was like, you know, you'd kind of have something that was like passed down through her family or some shit. Like they got all this weird like hang up on who's going to have what when who goes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, But then, you know, there'd be a bag of shopping. There was like definitely points where it was like better and worse, but like kind of at its worst, it's like, you know, you sit on the sofa, you lift up the pillow and there's like plate of food underneath. Yeah, and like, yeah, you know, it was, I know what you mean. You know, I didn't. I didn't have kid uh, people around when I was a kid. Do you know what I mean? It was like not really a thing. So basically, my mum was uh, an art teacher. So I would kind of go in when they would have like summer, and they were packing down the student shows. So it's kind of like I had access to those areas. Both of my parents did uh, art degrees. My dad dropped out, but when I was a kid, he sort of worked at the Royal Opera House as a stagehand. Nice. So there was kind of like, you know, like my weird uncle, Brendan, like he's, you know, still fucking at it. He's absolutely <laughs> mental. But yeah, he does loads of glass work. Um, so I did some work with him not too long ago. So there's kind of always been people around. And my mum kind of definitely when I was a teenager, I think she could see that I was really struggling. And she was really struggling, but kind of being in this bubble. Um, but she sort of, when I probably was about 15, was like, you know, you need to draw. And before that, I was kind of like carrying sketchbooks around with me and like sit on the bus and I'd spent a lot of time because of the not going to school sort of like I just uh, I basically had mates that lived in Greenwich so I'd go and stay at their house all weekend probably from about the age of seven I was there quite a lot and then their cousin lived in West London so I'd go on the buses as long a route as I could take go and spend like a couple of weeks in the night um, nights in a week at her house and then we'd travel back together and then spend uh yeah, the weekend back over in Greenwich. And it was like, um, yeah, drawing was a way for me to occupy myself, but also I was like, I guess, processing a lot of the stuff that was going on at the time. So it was kind of always about, I think I think definitely when I was a teenager, like um, kind of maybe like late teens started um, going to parties and events, but also like squat parties and uh, sort of setting up big bits of paper and doing live drawing to music and... Um, sort of sometimes selling bits to people for like birthday presents or cards or whatever because I didn't go to uni until I was like 21 so I went through like open access yeah and I had to do like a written English test and it was like I, it, the, the most writing I'd done is like a job seekers <laughs> form uh, you know and then all of a sudden it was like I, th I think I got something like 54% on the test and it was like 50% to pass yeah, right yeah. so I was, I was like pretty chuffed to get in um, but I remember getting in and being like, you know, what, what are people doing here? They sort of just like trod their way through the school thing. And to me, it was like, I, the way that I felt about it, I was being paid to be there. I was like, I've got my own studio. 
I've got workshops, you know, so it's like I really, yeah, made the most of that. So, yeah, there was art stuff around um, when I was a kid and, you know, school trips to like central London and yeah. museums and stuff like that. But And what about when you finished your BA? Oh God, well, I had a, I, halfway through that, that's when I had my first major collapse and I've got mates in Germany that I went and stayed with because there was like no one here really that um, I didn't have any support. And I sort of thought like the level of anonymity over there, they'd just think I was yeah. weird and foreign. They wouldn't really piece together that yeah. I was like completely lost the plot. <laughs> so did you complete your... Yeah, so basically I went out and saw them and I was talking about moving out there and um, they sort of persuaded me to come back actually and finish my BA, which was really good because basically um, I managed to get first, managed to get first on my piece of writing, but that was mainly because of um, Neil Ferguson. So he's the one that I work with on Incon quite a lot, uh, which he sort of set up in Broccoli. And so he was my tutor and then we've kind of collaborated since. You know? Nice. So it's, yeah, it's really nice actually. And I think he saw something in me like, you know, a, a certain level of critical thinking or, you know, drive and that kind of wasn't really relating to paper. So he really kind of, you know, sat me down and was like, you know, you need to kind of get this yeah. through because you kind of, you know, you're saying some important stuff. Was there a point when you thought you wanted to become an artist or is it just all merged as one part of your life just merged in at the other and it was just always on the cards? I think when I was like an early teen, I was quite confident. I mean, it takes a lot when your mum's a teacher to not go to school, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, literally just people would be like, I'd go to friends' houses and their parents would be like, what are you going to do with your life? How are you going to... I was like, you know, I was like, I'm fine. I'll be fine. I'm going to be an artist. And I was like really confident. But then kind of by my um, mid-twenties, I remember people being like, oh, what do you do? And I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm a cleaner or I'm a teacher and... You know, was keeping up on art practice, was like literally holding down like two, three jobs at a time to like keep making art. I, I think it's because I went to uni and over, over analysis of like shit work. Mm. Basically, there was like a lot of people doing painting and then because that was un understood and related to history, they kind of just got away with it. Where was you know? this? So I was at Cass, Cass School of Art, nice. which doesn't exist. <laughs> it was a really good time to be there because it was like... There was a whole street art thing, which isn't really my bag, but like there was kind of a lot of energy and there was a lot of people coming from international connections and kind of doing work on Brick Lane. Yeah. Um, but then also you had like huge Bangladeshi community and then you kind of had City. And then on the back street, there was like warehouses and stuff. So we put on some like big events. Like when I was in first year, basically I said like, oh, what are we doing for our end of year show? And the head of the course was like, oh, no, you don't get an end of year show. And I was like, fuck that. You know? So we went, we went around the, the corner and just started asking. Like, and we managed to sort of pull like 60 artists in. We did music, performances. Um, there was like a catwalk that ran through the middle of it at one point. You know, and we had like second and third years coming up to us and being like, oh, can we put a bit in and stuff nice. like that. And it was quite democratic. It was like... You know, it was like 30 quid to be in and that was to cover the bar and to cover the space. Um, no commission. So it was quite open. It was fucking mental, hard work, but, you know, it's worth it. So at what point did you call yourself an artist? Well, I still struggle with it, but probably, like, definitely the last, like, three or four years, I think since having a studio, uh, it's my main thing that I'm just constantly doing. It's also, like, you know, I've been doing it for like 
<laughs> 17 years or something. So it's like, well, if, if everyone else is calling me an artist and uh, I'm making so art, you think, I must call myself an artist. What do you think know? kept you away from it? That is? I suppose it's then because you're attached to it and I don't, I don't agree with a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel that a lot of shit work gets precedent and gets but promoted. That's, that's the same in but every it kind of has creative to be, field, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, you, you can go down the... You can walk past a pub and hear someone singing in there and go, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. You know, why aren't yeah. they in, in the charts when you got yeah. that shit on top of the pop? I can be showing my age, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You were talking about the like the branding thing. So uh, at the interim show recently for Toma, uh, I made an art dispensary and it was kind of like Ikea frames. So the drawings are more valuable than uh, the frame. But also because they're in a frame, there's this idea of importance. But also because it's cheap frame, then that devalues it. So there's this like widening out and then shrinking yeah. in. And it was basically like a, a pest dispenser, and it was made out of a shopping trolley. So it's kind of got this aesthetic of like kind of being a bit shit. You remember those like outside sweet shops, and you put twenty yeah. p in, yeah, 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 that sort of thing. And actually, they're quite like vicious looking things because then they'd like bolt into the wall and stuff like that. The price of them in the rack was uh, like three times higher. And then you take it out, and if people didn't like it, there was like a bargain bucket that they could put <laughs> it in. But you could purchase it from either one. Yeah, yeah. And then I was taking them out of the bargain bucket and re feeding them into the top of the dispenser and then at the same time I had I don't know if you saw but I used the rave signs to make a little house so it was like I did uh, and you yeah. was inside it yeah so it was like um, I called it a Mandy house um, and then I was sat inside it and I was doing drawings of people as like um, ice creams so I was saying to them oh I'm doing portraits and then I was drawing them as ice creams and then handing them out uh, and so then people turned up at the show and they'd got a free drawing and then all of a sudden there's like a payment system going on. So depending at what point you kind of connected with the work, there was this whole deconstruction of the value of it and the perceived yeah. value. And then actually what comes out of that is the real value is someone's connection to something and it's not about the price tag on it or the investment in, um, oh, I can hold on to this and maybe one day it will be worth some money. It's... Do I like it? Do I want it? Yeah. Um, and then also making it accessible to people, you know. And I don't think it should be in that way that, you know, large institutions do where it's a big amount of text on the wall that you have to stand and read before you enter a room because yeah. then that kind of becomes like funfair. I think it's way better to engage with it and go, I don't get this. Why don't I get this? Um, and I think there is that sort of snobbishness around art that you should have an immediate reading or there's a right reading to have of it as opposed to... I don't get this, is a perfectly valid positioning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it doesn't resonate, that's all right. But I think it's, um, you know, those spaces can be quite exclusionary, I think. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Um, what one of your artworks that you've created do you think has got the strongest emotional connection? So uh, Pat Lunch that I work with quite a lot and we've got a show coming up summer. Um, she's like a really good friend but also like a really good friend in terms of like a leveller you know she's just like no that's shit we can't do that or like yeah okay we can go with that right Uh, and then I think it was probably 2000 non-critical critic yeah 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 yeah, but it's like you know you just cut the fat like you just get to the fucking point really quick Uh, you know we're both quite serious about what we're doing but also definitely keep it light keep it silly so it was like an old school pub and it was kind of talking about how pubs are disappearing uh, or they're a bar, everywhere's a bar. And the idea that, you know, I think Weatherspoons are the only real pubs that are still kind of going, you know. Yeah, and basically we made uh, the Dumbbell and it was run by the landlord, Argy so we made a big model, kind of similar to the sort of thing that you might see like in a shit museum somewhere where they can't quite do a proper yeah, waxwork yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. It's like paper mache uh, you know, he had a like salmon salmon polo shirt and some like loafers on. You know, his um, big grizzly big, big grizzly bear. So he was kind of in there, and we sort of made it just out of stuff that we pulled out of skips, and then we used some like corrugated plastic and covered it in like wood laminate vinyl. We used the curtain rail as the bar at the bottom, um, and then we sort of invited some people that were kind of making work around bars or like people that we felt were really kind of making some interesting work around like collections and stuff like that, the kind of stuff that you might see in a pub. And we kind of want to expose people and kind of show them off a bit as well. And I think what worked about the bar is usually you have a bar at a private view. It's like the first place that people go to, you know, they get the piece of A4 paper, roll it up, walk around, look at it a bit because everyone's a bit nervous. It's kind of a space that you don't really know how to operate in. And immediately what we've done with the bar is disrupt that. You know, people came in and lent on it because it's a counter. It's like people understand countertops. It's like, you know, it's kitchens, it's shops, it's reception at the doctors. Like people get that that's a place where two people come to meet. People came up and said, oh, you know, do you take card? Someone asked if uh, they could have a tap water. And, you know, it's like it's literally made out of bits of toot from the skip. But it was like it was so convincing yeah. as as a pub that some people thought that that actually was just there is a bar in the gallery and it looks like an old school pub. And I think, yeah, I suppose the, and what the, was reason, the name of that piece. So that was called the Dumbbell. Of course. Uh, and then Argy Bargy was an ex weightlifting champion. And we sort Brilliant. of like made little uh, brass models of him and that sort of stuff. And then we had bits of our own work in there as well. And I think what was interesting about that is to see the dynamic and how people interacted, but also putting a shift on it. It was really accessible, but also there was kind of kind of clever social commentary going on. Uh, and then we kind of just did it as a weekender. So we both talked about how we were really sick of, like, you know, you have to work loads to get money to potentially rent a space, or you have to blag it and da-da-da. And we were like... We're going to do this really open. We're going to say to the artists that they have to pay some money, but that's to cover the space. Any sales that they make, that's on them. We'll help them to sell as well. Uh, We took on the hang, and then we kind of wanted it to be really active because it's that thing of then, like, you know, people spend loads of money and time, 
making work in their studio and then they show it and then they have an opening have some people have a glass of wine and then it just sits there and then they have to take time off work to invigilate or whatever and we were just like we're not fucking doing that anymore so yeah we had a meat raffle so like meat raffles don't happen I used to go to them at Quicksave with my mum it was great you know what I mean um Although I did, I went to somewhere in uh, Northumberland Heath. Um, there was a pub, and they still do a meat raffle, and I was really Good. excited about it. And then we did uh, four burgers in a tin, a Greg sausage roll. There was a burger place around the corner. They gave us like some vouchers or whatever. Um, and then we had pub quiz, and then we did bingo on the Sunday. Good. And it was great. It was like a really nice way to activate the space. It meant people that kept coming back to the show and engaging them with it. Some people came all three days. Um, and I think the reason that that's like such a emotional bit, I guess, is because um, it was like the move into being like I can take creative control of this, and we kind of like really we drove it how we wanted it to be. Yeah. It wasn't waiting. It wasn't oh, if I make some really good work, some point um, Sarchi might come along and pay attention to me. You know, it's like fuck Sarchi. Like <laughs> we're we're gonna do what we want to do and how we want to do it. And actually, there was a really good response, and people were really positive about it. Made lots of money for people, and you know, it, it felt good to be supporting people. And and then actually, that led on to me doing the um, House of Parakeet. I don't know if you know no, about House Parakeet. So basically, because my mum's a hoarder, so what happened is... And if you don't mind me saying, it does always yeah. rubbing off slightly. <laughs> it's a fucking mess in here at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this is the tidy version of it, yeah. Um, oh, I'm saying, your collections are in order, but there's yeah. a lot of them. Yeah, 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 there's a fair old bit, right? <laughs> God, sorry, sorry. To You've seen the gum under there as well. Nice. That's only recent. Um yeah, so um, the House of Parakeet was like, I'd been to Germany and then I was like living away for a bit and then I came back to London and ended up living with my mum again. And that was kind of like psychologically difficult because it's like that space is kind of holds a lot of memories and then um, there's kind of, you know, the family's quite fractious. Um, and basically I had always had this idea. I was like, well, my mum's got this house. Uh, it's got quite a big living room. And I was always like, well, you know, I could run a gallery from the house. Yeah, and I thought it was quite a good way to kind of help her process the hoard, go through stuff, decorate the house, you know, kind of, and kind of potentially like spin the the narrative between us as a family in terms of what that space is and what it holds for us um, and kind of bring a bit of life into it. So basically we... It was me and Pat again, we set it up and um, yeah, we basically printed our own wallpaper, which was really disgusting, but looked quite ornate. Yeah. Um, it kind of had like intestine type stuff <laughs> running through it and maggots. And then I do these things called vaginal orbs and they were kind of around and little bits of text. Uh, so we had that and then we invited, I think probably about seven artists to come and do stuff. But then again with that, we didn't want it just to be a, a dead show. Um, so we had my mate who's Algerian come in and do a supper club. Um, so we had like a traditional Berber night nice. uh, and it was Berberism begins at home. <laughs> We'd done things like made our own curtains and cushions and, uh, did, and I think that it was the free reign because it was my mum's house. It's like I was drilling bits of work into the ceiling, you know, I had a, and she was cool with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, my mum's great. She's really, um, you know, it's taken a long time for us to have a good relationship, but it's really solid. And like I was saying before, I've like moved her into a studio now and she's started making bits of work again. So, Do you know Richard Billingham? No. Who's that? He was a photographer who lived in a disruptive household. You know, mm. I think mum and dad were alcoholics. Mm. And I'm not, you know, just the, the visual that you was putting mm. onto mm. your home with the hoarding. His parents were both alcoholic, cared solely for the bottle. Him and yeah, his brother yeah. were secondary, you know. But he started documenting life at home. Okay. And it's yeah. beautiful as it's tragic. Yeah. Because there's pictures of his mum and dad like just fighting over beer yeah. or, or wine yeah, or yeah, booze, yeah. you know, whatever. But his photographs were fucking beautiful from it, you know, and he's he's gone on, he's made his career on the back of mm. them photographs. Well, I think that's it. Is sometimes there's the idea that something beautiful has to be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I think? And actually it doesn't. It's like, I'm really interested about that idea of like repulsion and allure and how you can kind of push and pull between that space and actually... You know, everyone watches a car crash. Mm. You know, there's something really it, it captures you, and then so then it's like if you're using those sorts of things, it's then then what after? And so, by the sounds of it, he's telling quite a personal personal story. Yeah, mm. I, I think you'd get. It sounds a bit really out good. Yeah, yeah. To, put him down. And it's it fucking oh, it's 1994 or something. His photos oh, really? might have been, yeah, been yeah. earlier than that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, beautiful. And he was on about group show. If there was you and five other artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show yeah, be? Yeah, shit. So I wrote this down. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this down because basically I fucking ummed and about it and I went backwards and forwards. And definitely no dead artists because they're dead. They don't need it. <laughs> uh, and then I kind of thought about an art show and then I was like, it's not really, it's not really what I want. And so I'd probably do a TV show nice and it would be written by Kathy Burke perfect um, I love Kathy Burke and then do you know John Wilson he did a, a it's an HBO series but it's on BBC and it's how to with John Wilson and he basically walks around New York and it's just really candid he's capturing right. like all the weird nature of stuff and then he kind of themes each episode so he does an episode on scaffolding and then he ends up at a scaffolding convention yeah. so brilliant I love that it kind of just follows stuff and carries it on and John Wilson a, yeah how to with John Wilson okay. yeah. and at one point he ends up like on a mountain with a bag of crisps because he's trying to make it pop because you know kind yeah, of yeah, 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 out yeah, yeah, and yeah. then he can't make it pop so then he rents a helicopter and he's up in the helicopter brilliant. and then when he's in the helicopter he's holding it above his head because <laughs> he's trying to get you know it's like really funny but also like he, he's got an incredible eye for capturing bizarre stuff yeah. so he would be director of photography and then ESG, do you know ESG? I might do if you say that. Yeah, right. South, South Bronx Tale. So they, um, uh, they're a family who kind of were, they, a couple of them were addicted to drugs and then basically their parents went and bought them second-hand instruments and then they became a band. But they're like really percussive. Yeah. You definitely know some of the tunes, so they'd be in charge of music. And then art direction would be someone from Toma, so um, my mate Kate Sullivan, so she's a really good world creator and kind of, you know, in terms of like a distinct identity, she kind of really can do that. Uh, so she'd be on art direction. And then do you know Tat Vision? He I did the, he so. did the uh, Four Lads thing 
the big bronze recently. No, so he's got a really nice. Um, he kind of does things like lots. He, he watches lots of um, old VHSs and stuff like that. He's a big collector. Uh, and kind of makes these really bizarre bits, but kind of generally most of what I've seen of his work is video. Is he British? Mm, yeah, yeah. But I'd have him on sets and props. <laughs> okay, I was just. I, I weren't being rude. No, no. My phone. I was looking up. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen, well, I've seen him before. Yeah, yeah. Great. But yeah, definitely Kathy Burke because she's a funny cunt. So she's great, isn't she? <laughs> no. That's to five. Well, that five. That great. Is five. That was a really fucking hard list to make, you know. <coughs> Good. That's I really like hard. the way you. Talk oh yeah, and then also me and Pat would be executive producers, so of we're course. not part of the numbers. Do you know what I mean? But we definitely have an in. <laughs> you mentioned Toma a few times. Yeah. What is Toma? Uh, so Toma is the other MA, and it's an artist-led, artist-run postgraduate course that was founded by Emma Edmondson, and it is Essex's only art-based postgraduate course, nice. I believe. <laughs> um, yeah, and basically she went to go and do a master's at Goldsmiths, and then two weeks before she got an email saying the course had been dissolved. And she had to look for somewhere else. So she went to metal. So there's a few metals uh, up and down the country, but she went to the one in Southend and just asked for a bit of funding and said she wanted to do a course and set it up. And I think the first cohort, they had probably about six of them or something. And then it's been running probably since 2016. I think the thing that's amazing about it is it's really open and transparent. So they say where all the money goes. Every artist that comes in to visit us is paid the same, regardless of their status or position. Um, some of the people that come in and tutor us, like um, there's a guy called Ali Isa, and he gave his fee back into Toma. We can't, like, I think even more so than if you paid for a master's, which got paid like 10 grand for a year, and then basically uh, write whatever you're writing on the tube on the way to your other job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, actually, we get a lot of contact time. It's the evenings and weekends, so the idea that if you've got a full-time job or care commitments, yeah. uh, if you're a young parent, whatever's going on. And I think that sort of structure and actually, it, you know, this year it's running for a year and a half. And that's basically because through COVID, they had to sort of delay it and extend yeah. it because of contact time. And actually, they just were like, that works better as a model. So it's really open. It's really flexible. They keep the numbers small intentionally, so you actually get um, a focus group and you get to connect with each other. And I'm just sort of endlessly blown away. I mean, when I got my fucking interview, like <laughs> I was, I was basically last year. What happened is because I was like, no, I need to really give this a go. I was just shooting out everything. It was like any application to anything that came in. I was just, yeah, okay, send it out. And then loads of people started doing an accessibility thing where they have a webinar. Uh, before to kind of explain how to go through the application process. And so I thought when I got the email that it was one of these saying, oh yeah, sign yourself up. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, is this in person or online? And they were like, no, it's in person, it's an interview. And I was like, fuck. So, you know, spent a week crying in the bath and laughing hysterically <laughs> and all of that sort of stuff. But it's, um, yeah, my interview, I haven't told you about my interview. So basically I was like, this one, I was like, I've got to go for broke, right? Um, so I decided 
to do a performance. I don't know if it's a performance. I was sort of like reenacting things, basically. So, you know, I was talking about having to talk out loud to myself and kind of play certain sides and voices that are kind of going on. So I sort of structured it. Like I went into the room, sort of introduced myself, but then just sort of cleared the space then got down on the floor and then had a bit of tape and sort of was like marking out a circle around myself and as I was doing it I was like narrating what I was doing and then interrupting myself you know uh, laughing screaming I was headbutting the floor at one point then I was singing and then kind of the climax of it was then I started getting them to interact and then I got them to make different sounds and then they came into the circle and sort of sang with me, and then it was like singing Saturday night. Um, and then, yeah, and then we closed it, and I was just like, you know, I was fucking terrified. It was really bizarre. Maybe they were as well. Yeah, I think I think they were a bit taken aback, but I was also like, they're not going to forget me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really, I was really grateful to be given a call back, and it's it's going great. We just had the interim show, and I think the final show is going to be, yeah, quite a thing. Nice. Yeah. And do you come away there with an MA? No, so it's un- uncertified. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> I'm kind of quite happy but about it's just, that. I was going to say, it's just good I feel like I'm getting you. more of an art education than I would anywhere else. Yes, yeah, it's, good, it's yeah. good to you as an MA. Oh, yeah, better. But yeah. How did you it. find crits at uni? Yeah, yeah. I've just found it so positive. When, even when people couldn't see what I was trying to say, mm. then I'd explain it and they go, oh, I do get it now you've explained it. Yeah. It's just not working visually. So yeah. then I knew I had to put a bit more work or do it a different way yeah, yeah. to Keep tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting, like, isn't it? Because essentially all we're doing is like putting more stuff in between ourselves and other people to then translate something. Do you know what I mean? To bring back that yeah. connection in. Yeah, because at the moment, like with a lot of my work, I'm not really... Um, I'm not sure where it's at or where it's going. And that's that's kind of rev for me, really. Because before it's like, you know, I'd make something and I'd be like, this is what it is and that's what it's about. Not know there where you're heading. No, I think it's also that I'm kind of... I'm I'm intentionally keeping things afloat. Yeah. Because I don't want to land it too quick because there comes a point where it's like... Then you just end up repeating the same stuff over and do over again because you get it and you know it. artwork at a time? Or no, do you have several things no, going I'm working on? on a few. Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the ADHD vibes <laughs> kind of don't really work with, uh, yeah. Well, what would you do if you wasn't an artist, do you think? Oh, Jesus, I don't know. I've done so many different types of jobs. I've done lots of, like, labouring, carpentry stuff. Uh, and I still do, you know, help people. Uh, there's a guy I work with building cabins. I've worked with other artists as well, which is quite fun. I like doing that, but yeah, I did lots of teaching. What collaborating or? Well, lots of work collaborating, but also like yeah. So there's a guy Henry Krakatsis. He's got um, a studio over in Acton, so he does quite a lot of stuff over in Acton. And yeah, I've sort of helped him make cabins that have gone to like Copenhagen and stuff like that. And nice. Yeah, really interesting work actually. Like you know, we scorch the wood and carve into it. So there's kind of a, like a creative element mm. as well as just like interesting labour. And he's really decent. You know, he like pays me what I want and he looks out for me. He's helped me with art stuff as well. He's a big support, really. I've done lots of teaching. Done lots of teaching and working with kids. Nice. Uh, which I really enjoy. But I sort of um, hit a point where it was just becoming a bit triggering, really. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't yeah. be around that yeah. on a daily basis. You know. 
there was a couple of things that came up with some of the kids that was like you know difficult for them to be going through you know yeah. but it was like it was the realisation that I was still processing certain things uh, funnily enough I had a similar one with that I'd go into prisons and mm. do workshops give talks yeah. and, um, and then I went into a youth prison which well just down the road here but it's called ISIS mm. fucking bad name for a prison yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I went in there and normally at the end when I'm working with them like we, mm. we was all doing at the time we was all doing like working on this pretty much a paint by numbers you know um, and we'd have a conversation that's when the barriers come down and people mm. would just ask honest questions you know rather than the bravado that, that goes out the window for some reason but the lads would ask me, they was asking me different questions. And I don't know if it's because at the time I had a boy who was probably at, at the time eight or ten. Mm. And I was with these lads who were 17, 18. And they're, they're just chatting about their life outside. And I'm like, they ain't got a fucking chance mm. when they get out of it. Because mm. they're going, oh, like, you know, my mum, you know, she's a addicts mm. my dad or whoever he is you know I don't know who he is but I'm in here because like my mum told me to go and get some stuff and the, the yeah, drug yeah. dealer's got this lad to be a fucking dealer little runner yeah because of his mum and his mum mm. was pushing him into it mm. as well mm. and he was like I didn't want to do it I wanted to go to school but they made me stop and, and I was like fucking hell and I come out of there and I sat in the car I sat there for I don't know five minutes might have been 25 yeah. minutes and I was just like, these poor cunts have yeah, got yeah. a fucking prayer. Yeah. And I couldn't go back into a prison for about two years after that. Yeah, it's difficult, yeah, isn't it? Because that's the thing. It's like, I think, you know, even if I make it, whatever that is, you know, and I've got all the cash in the world, I'm not going to be painting flowers in my studio. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to be making work. And then also, like, my dream is, like, there's the primary school that I worked in, Horn Park, is, like, go back there and set up just, like, some sort of cabin and just give them drawing, do you know what I mean? Give them drawing as a way to articulate themselves and even if it's like two hours in a day where they can go somewhere and it's like, just kind of escape that, you know? I was working yeah. with kids who were like, you know, nine and having to run stuff for bigger brothers and stuff mm. like that and it was like, fuck man. Like, We're saying that doing drawing for, for, the, for the kids, when I go into the jails, it's like some of the jails where I go in and, um, do these talks I can't go in anymore because the art, art class has closed down really yeah. because of funding how's I, that the first thing to go it's, it's not maths it's, or English yeah. which but are the also, main things so this is the thing right I'm, I, it really fucks me off because it's like when people are like oh art like this like fun extra thing that you do in life you take all that out you take anything creative out it's like what are we doing we're just endlessly producing and perpetuating shit it's like fucking people did this in an ice age they like cross yeah. continents on their feet <laughs> And fucking then did cave paintings and yeah. told stories to each other, you know? There's, it's, it's intrinsic to being human and understanding what it is to be human. It's not, and it's, it's become this thing where big parts of it are very commercial, big parts of it are very elitist, but actually the idea that it's not accessible for everyone and, it, you know, people aren't capable of it or it's not for them, I, yeah. don't, I don't think is right, you know? And I think that's to do with our, you know, societal setup. Yeah, yeah. well, as a response to them shutting art classes down it's only happened to a couple but I'm well aware that the art is one of the first to go because it's a pleasure mm. and you can do it in your cell is pencil and yeah. a bit of paper 
a totally different thing. But either way, I, in response to that, I contacted um, someone I was on a panel with a couple of years ago, funnily enough, who's an art therapist. And she was doing it in prisons at the time. It would probably be in a year or so's time, maybe even a couple of years' time, but to sort out a programme of art therapy so that it mm. can have visual results to show governors or even MPs okay. that this is the benefit. They just want a bit of paper that shows yeah. actual statistics. Yeah, yeah. So Measurable stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's what I wanted to try and do, give statistics. Because I know that it had such an impact on me, mm. and I don't know where that impact come from. It might have just been the stars aligning through yeah. loads of different things. But it changed my fucking my world. Yeah. And I know for a fact that other creativity, you know, I know poets that have been to prison mm. who are now and yeah. they're a, a different person, singers and actors. Yeah. Well I think like the reason that I'm so passionate about drawing in particular is because it's like everything's been a drawing. Mm. You know. Literally buildings that you exist in, you know, trainers on your feet. It's all been drawn at some point. It's all been worked out, and actually, it's a really good tool for thinking. And I think it's seen as something for making pretty pictures, yeah. but actually, uh, it's a real connection to mind and ingenuity, imagination, um, and these are sort of seen as sort of nonsense things that are kind of oh, you can be creative, and that's separate to life and reality. But actually, like all innovation has come from a point where people start thinking differently about something yeah i think that's probably why i struggled to call myself an artist because there is this idea that you're a painter or a sculptor and it's like you're making pretty objects or things that support the thing that already exists you know it's like statues of so and so and actually to me like real artistic creativity exists in the point where people are flipping things on their heads and so that can be in an artwork and proposing an idea but it can also be seeing a material differently you know there was a point where you know sort of post-war like art institutions were sort of especially like sculpture departments they were developing new materials that mm. go into industry because what they're doing is they've got a bunch of stuff and they're putting shit together that shouldn't go together so they're making new polymers and different types of rubber yeah. and like you know it's like synthetic rubbers and all that sort of stuff like working out how to strengthen concretes and you know it's like that to me is like the importance of art is not to make artwork but to be creative and you know push things perfect yeah I think it's yeah profound it's got profound Gary <laughs> yeah. and for anyone to see what you are doing how would they find you be it website or social media uh, so social media Instagram spam is probably the best way to get in contact with me uh so it's fredericks.vermin and my website is fredericksvermin.com perfect uh, but also if you see me at a show just come and chat to me and that's <laughs> lastly which I've yeah. done these two last questions in a wrong order what have you got coming up? Uh, so I'm part of Art Hub Studios and they've got a ceramic show coming up and that is I think probably before this goes out so that's end of April and then I've got a show with Helen Ashton which is also Pat Lunch so that's back where we did the dumbbell and actually they've um, the building's been sold so it's our last one there so it's quite nice it's like where we cut our teeth and it's sort of a return to that and 
yeah, I'm quite excited about it because actually we just uh, it's just focusing on us two and the work that we've been making over the last year or so. And when's that? That's uh, June second is the opening, and then it will just be for that weekend. And then after that, hopefully, just take a break because it's been a fucking crazy <laughs> year. Do you know what I mean? Good. All right, mate. Well, that's uh, that's all my questions asked. It's been really nice having you. Here. Oh, <laughs> been away eating your biscuits. <laughs> They're good biscuits, aren't they? Like they're very good biscuits. I'm about to have my fourth. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers. We decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means, obviously, we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a Linktree drop-down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, Zad on. This is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.